You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you so much for the privilege that it has been for us to study our way through the book of Ephesians, and thank you so much for this big, fat theme all the way through this book of what it looks like to sit and be seated in our identity, to know who we are, to know whose we are, so that we can then walk out our calling in a way that is honoring to you, um, so that in the midst of sitting in who we are and walking out our calling in a way that is holy and honorable to you, that we can also stand firm in the message of truth and the message of the gospel. Father, I pray for us today that you would... Uh, that you would bring this passage to bear on our hearts, not just our minds, and not just our behaviors. Pray, pray, Father, that you would speak through this word in such a way that it would come to bear um, in a particular and special way on our hearts. I pray that you would help us to be in tune with what you would want to say to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. So, so, hey, walking out the Christian life, thinking about the Christian life this week as we get into this passage, as you think about your journey in uh, walking out the Christian life, I, I, I would say this. I, I think that walking out the Christian life is kind of like taking dirt roads to a vacation destination rather than taking the highways. It's kind of like taking the dirt roads um, to a vacation destination rather than taking the highways. We, we don't typically choose, actively choose, the roughest roads to travel when heading to our vacation spots. We choose the quickest and the smoothest routes because we want to get there quick, right? Like vacation is like a slice of heaven for us. We get to take some time off, get out with the family, whatever it is that you do for us. Uh, we, we do this with our family every summer, and we are excited to get there. And we want to get out the door as fast as we can and get there. We don't want to take detours. We don't want to take hard roads. We want to take smooth, easy roads to get there, to get to our slice of heaven on earth. And oftentimes we treat the Christian journey the same way. The problem there is that the Christian journey isn't the quickest, right? And it's definitely not the smoothest. If you became a Christian thinking that life would somehow become easier or that your journey would somehow get smoother, I hate to break it to you today, but you were sold a cheap version of Christianity, if that was what you were sold. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about this. And I remember wrapping up our time together in Ephesians by saying that the journey of the Christian life is sometimes more similar to the speed of a gazelle sprinting up a mountain. Um, I, I take it back. I said that wrong. It's, it's less similar to the speed of a gazelle sprinting up a mountain. It's not, not often that it's like that. In fact, it's more often that it's, that it's like a, a, the speed of a snail just inching its way along the road. And that's hard because we, we want to get there fast. We want things now. As we talked about that last week, we talked about the truth that it's not, it's not the speed of our journey that really counts. It's the direction of our journey that really counts. That we should be heading in a direction that is towards God and towards holiness and towards 
becoming more like Christ. So it's not the speed that counts, it's the direction that counts. And on this journey, as we inch our way along like snails, um, tasting momentarily and every now and then the speed of a gazelle, which can be um, awesome, mountaintop experiences, the reality is that our journey is often in the low valley, slow, dangerous, and it's hard to know where you're going to go. It feels like you don't know where the next foot should be placed on the journey. Oftentimes in this journey, there are potholes that we face. There will always be potholes that we will come across. There will be potholes behind us, potholes ahead of us, sometimes potholes underneath of us. What, again, what counts the most is the direction we are headed in and the person that we are becoming and the person that we are headed to, namely Christ himself. I would think that every one of us can take a moment and think about a season of your life where you hit a major pothole. A season of your spiritual journey where you hit a major pothole. You can look back and you can remember when that pothole felt like it was going to derail your entire life. If you remember, maybe a sin that you were struggling with or a desire that was out of control, whatever it may be, there are potholes in our lives that we hit that oftentimes feel like they're going to derail us. But that pothole in the past does not define who you are or where you are headed. Let me say that again. That pothole in the past does not define who you are or where you're headed. That pothole that you can see in your rearview mirror as you take this journey, it, it may have knocked you off course for a moment, It may have knocked the wind out of your sails momentarily. It may have knocked the breath out of you in the middle of the road. But that pothole does not dictate or control the long-term direction or the end destination of your journey. It's a big idea for today. The potholes of the past do not dictate the direction or the destination of your journey. Paul says it this way, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember, you have a pen you like to write in your Bible, you can underline that word therefore, you can circle the word remember. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember, there it is again, the word remember. He said remember twice. So if you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that word remember again. So you should have the word therefore underlined and the word remember circled twice, possibly. If you don't want to write in your Bibles, write on a note next to you. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, circle that phrase, but now, or just make a note, write it down, point an arrow to it, whatever you need to do. You should have the word therefore highlighted. You should have the the first instance of the word remember highlighted, and then the second instance of the word remember highlighted somehow, circled, underlined, starfish, whatever you like to do. And And then down there in the final verse, in verse 13, that phrase, but now, 
to remember these phrases and these words. They are key to where we're headed on our journey and our little trip today. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Potholes of the past do not dictate the direction or the destination of your journey. Paul begins to explain this in verse 11 with the word, therefore. First where I told you to identify, circle, underline whatever you need to do. He begins with the word, therefore. That, That word is meant to draw our attention to something behind us, right? That, that word is meant to draw our attention to what Paul has previously said over the last 10 verses in regards to the doctrine of salvation. When it comes to hermeneutics, hermeneutics is a big fat theological word which simply means the art of interpreting the Bible. Um, hermeneutics is really just a great big list of questions you would ask. Whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask the question, what's it there for? Um, that's, that's, just, it's, that's the rule of interpretation when it comes to the word therefore and it's always a helpful reminder to me when I'm reading my Bible on my own in my own personal study not just when I'm preparing to preach when I come across that word therefore I think immediately what's it there for and it causes me to look back at what the author has previously said Paul has previously spoke about the doctrine of salvation over the last 10 verses very powerfully When a person becomes a Christian, this is what Paul is saying, when a person becomes a Christian, that person who who once was spiritually dead becomes spiritually alive. Their old heart of stone becomes a brand new heart of flesh. They are regenerated. They are animated. They are empowered by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God at that moment. A Christian is someone who who once was dead in the grave, but is now walking by faith in the midst of the spiritually alive. And this work of salvation, this this work of salvation that God does, it's, it's a gift, right? We talked about that over the last three weeks. Week one was the gift part one. Week two was the gift part two. And week three was the gift part three. This work of salvation is a gift of God that is received by God's free grace through the pipeline of faith for the glory of God who is the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. That's the essence of the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. That essence this doctrine of salvation is, is precisely why the Apostle Paul uses that word, therefore, in verse 11. He wants our hearts to be captured, captivated, focused on this glorious truth of salvation. Why? Why do you think the Apostle Paul wants to draw our attention to that again. I believe, I believe it's because the truth is what sets us free to walk like the masterpieces that we really are. This massive doctrine of salvation is meant to help us walk like the free men and the free women that we really are in Christ Jesus. Prior to Christ, you were dead. In Christ, you are alive. Prior to Christ, you were enslaved. In Christ, you are now free. 
I think Paul continues to draw our attention back to that because he wants us to walk like the free men and women that we really are in Christ. But Paul, Paul doesn't immediately jump to the theme of walking by the Spirit and living by the Spirit. That's not really going to happen until chapter 4, okay? What's going to happen in chapter 4 is he's going to come out guns blazing. This is how you walk. This theme of walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, it, all, all it does is it just leaks out. It's like the, the Apostle Paul could not contain himself, right? It leaks out in a short phrase in verse 10 as we look back. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. Again, it's like, it's like the Apostle Paul is unable to contain himself. He wants to talk about what it looks like to walk in the good works that we were created for in Christ Jesus. But he knows this. He knows this. He knows that, that we will not be able to walk rightly on our journey. The potholes of our lives will knock us off course. We will not be able to walk out our calling well if we do not first know who we are and whose we are. We are a people who really want to get focused on the walking. Like, just tell me what to do, pastor, right? Give me something practical to walk out here with. Give me five steps to managing my money better. Give me 10 steps to walking in a healthy relationship with somebody else better. Give me seven points for healing my marriage. Give me, give me six things to uh, raise my kids better. We, we are very practical people, and it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's good. Much of the scriptures that we study is about walking out this calling, this Christian life, this journey towards heaven. But the Apostle Paul is not going to jump there until chapter 4 because... We need to know who we are and whose we are so that we can then walk like the masterpieces that we really are. This is what the word therefore is there for. It's there to remind us of what Paul has said in regards to our identity as saved sons and daughters of God in verses 1 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 13, the apostle Paul drills even deeper into the identity of a Christian with his use of two two-word phrases. First word phrase is remember when. Remember when. Second word phrase is but now. In fact, that's the title of the message, remember when but now. Remember when but now. It's as though the Apostle Paul says this. If, if he was standing in front of us, I think he would put it this way. He'd be like, hey, hey guys, like, like take a look at this massive doctrine of salvation. Look at it. Think about it. Let it capture your hearts. Think about how you've been saved and, and think about what you've been saved from and, and think, about, think about who you've been saved by. And now in light of all of that, I want you to remember when. Verses 11 through 12, Paul says, remember when. You see, memories are powerful things. Memories are powerful things. The memory of a really tasty meal for me motivate me to get up off the couch and make a super tasty meal and consume it with joy. That's what the memory of a good meal does for me. And I don't know if it's the same for you guys. I have, a, I have an exquisite love for food. Um, 
The, the, the memory of a loved one's death can motivate me in some very powerful and emotional ways too. That's why I think the Apostle Paul says, remember when. Memories are powerful motivators. His use of this phrase, I believe, is meant to cause us to remember when we weren't Christians. If you're here and you're not a Christian, then this is going to speak to where you're at right now. If you're here and you're a Christian, then this first section is going to speak to who you used to be. Paul wants us to remember when we weren't Christians so that we can then rest assured in our present position as Christians. That's an important thing if you're here and you are Christian. If that's your name, Christian, and you are here, it is important for you to remember when you weren't Christian so that you can rest assured in your present position as Christian. As Paul draws our attention to the memory of the days when we weren't Christians, he does it with five distinct memories, which you'll have on the screen in front of you and you'll have on your handouts. Memory number one, Paul says, remember when you were in the flesh. In the flesh is just a catchphrase that paints the picture of separation from God. God is holy and righteous and just, and our flesh is dirty and corrupt because of sin. And at one time, we all lived according to the dirty and corrupt desires of our flesh. Remember when, remember when, Remember when you lived according to the dirty thoughts and filthy behaviors and corrupt desires of your flesh. Remember that. Remember when you were in the shackles of addiction. Remember when you were captivated by greed. Remember when you were dishonest or prideful or lustful or or full of rage or hatred or, or selfishness or coldness towards God or coldness towards your brother and sister in Christ. Remember when. Remember when that was you. Do do you remember when you were in the flesh? Memory number two that the Apostle Paul lays out is he says, remember when you lived in shame. Remember when you lived in shame. Paul says, remember when you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And you might be thinking, okay, I'm interested. How did you get remember when you lived in shame out of all that? See if you can track with me. This whole phrase, remember when you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands? This whole phrase, if he's speaking directly to the Gentiles right now, whole phrase would have reminded the Gentile believers of the way that the Jews postured themselves towards the Gentiles. So the Jews believed that they were right with God. They believed that they were right with God and that the Gentiles were not right with God. There was that separation, no hope, no way in. They believed that they were right with God, the Jews did, because they were circumcised. Now, now here's the thing. A circumcision, I don't think I have to go into a lot of details, but it was a work that was done by the physical hands of doctors at childbirth. And it was meant to signify something. It was symbolic of something. It was symbolic of the truth that you were in the family. You were part of God's family. You, your, your, your standing was right before God. It was a symbol of that. <coughs> Circumcision uh, is much like baptism. 
Um, baptism is a work of physical hands. But baptism does not make you a Christian. The only thing that makes you and I a Christian is the work of Christ inside of us, the work of the Spirit regenerating our hearts, helping us to profess our faith in Christ, right? The Jews, the Jews had begun to believe that circumcision actually saved them. That's what had begun to happen in the way that they treated the Gentiles. We're in and you're out. We're in because of something that was done in the flesh by hands and you don't do that same work in the flesh by hands, therefore you are out. Same thing happens today for us when we believe uh, that our good behavior makes us Christians. We begin to belittle or shame ourselves and even others for not performing or behaving in ways that is holy and righteous. We, we wind up measuring our right standing before God <coughs> in relation to our actions. Now, please don't hear me wrong. The Apostle Paul is going to spend a significant amount of time talking about the behavior and the activity of our lives and what it looks like for a Christian to walk. So don't hear me wrong. Actions, godly actions, godly behavior does flow out of a life and a heart of someone who trusts in God. Book of James, faith-filled actions. Actions don't justify you before God. You are justified before God by Christ's work at the cross, paying the penalty for your sins. Therefore, you would then walk out who you are. See? Sit in who you are. Walk out who you are. Stand in who you are. That's the book of Ephesians all the way through. When we get it backwards, the Jews have got it backwards here, and the Gentiles are paying the price. Oftentimes we do the same thing. We end up feeling ashamed because, our, because, because we feel a low sense of worth or, or value that's tied to our performance. Man, I screwed that up again. How could God ever love me, right? I screwed that up again. I got to get back on it. And I got to get, get this right. We oftentimes devalue ourselves, dehumanize ourselves and others to the point that we begin to believe that, that we and they are worthless then. We walk around with our head down low. That becomes the posture of our journey. There's a difference between being humble and humiliative and on the flip side, being dejected. Christ was dejected for us at the cross. Therefore, you and I can walk with our heads held high, glorying in the work that Christ did at the cross. Paul wants us to remember that there was a time in our lives, though, when we lived in a state of shame. Do you remember that season of your life? Memory number three, Paul wants you to remember when you were separated from Christ. Remember when you were separated from Christ. And when we lived in our flesh, we, we were soaked with shame. That sinfulness, that, that shame actually separated us from Christ. Even though sin and shame became a bridge at the cross for our salvation, there was a time in our lives when we had not yet crossed that bridge, but instead we were stuck behind the barriers of our sin and our shame and our guilt that actually separated us from God. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. 
There was a deep chasm that separated you from your Savior. You were cut off from the benefits of the blood of Christ. You were, you were not right with God. God was your enemy. Do you remember that time, that season of your life when you were separated from Christ? That may be you today. Memory number four, Paul says, remember when you were alienated from the family of God. When we lived in our flesh, we were soaked in shame and we were, we were separated from Christ and we were orphans without a family to belong to. We actually belong to the family of our sin and our guilt and our shame. We lived in an orphanage of our sin, shame, and guilt. This is the family we belong to and therefore we were alienated from the family of God. We were strangers to righteousness. God's love was a foreign object to us in that time. We had no special privileges. We were alone in this world. We were living apart from the family of God. Do you remember that time? Do you remember when you were alienated from the family of God? Finally, memory number five. Remember when you had no hope in God. Remember when you had no hope in God. Our flesh, our shame, our separation from Christ, our lonely state of being without a family, it left us with no hope. We were hopeless because the promises of God were foreign to us. Paul says that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I, I could spend a lot of time just talking about the covenants in the Old Testament and the implication that that had not only on Israel, but also on the Gentiles. You think back to who the Ephesian church is. The Ephesian church is a mixed church. And that was one of the issues. You have people from different ethnic and and racial and spiritual backgrounds that were coming into the same gathering space, and the Jews were saying, no, it's got to be this way. And the Gentiles were like, well, if it's got to be that way, then how do we ever get in? How can we be part of the family? So you, you, could, you could spend a lot of time studying out the covenants and how that applies here. We just do not have time for it today. I just want to draw your attention to that and encourage you. Man, go spend some time looking at that. It's good stuff. Because what Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, you in that corner of the room, and you in that corner of the room, and you in that corner, and you in that corner, you think this is like a boxing ring, right? Let's get you out of the boxing ring corners. Let's get you in the center of that boxing ring. Let's help you be a family. Let's knock down the barriers that once divided you. Because in Christ, the gospel unites us into a family. But Paul wants us to remember a time when we had no hope in God. There was a time when you were alienated from the riches of God, a time when the, the fellowship of the saints was unknown to you, a time when cleanliness in Christ was unknown to you. You were a stranger to the things of God, therefore you had no true hope in God. Do you remember that season of your life? You had no hope in God. Is that this season now for you? It might have just described who you are and where you're at right now. God would like to move you past that pothole. Because if that's where you're at today, that pothole does not have to define who you are. So Paul has instructed us to remember when we're in the flesh, 
It started us to remember when we lived in shame, to remember when we were separated from Christ, to remember when we were alienated from the promise of God, to remember when we had no hope in God. Do you remember simply when you weren't a Christian, when that name had no bearing on your life and who you are? If you can remember that, then the next phrase should bring you an immense amount of joy. And, and if you're here and you're not Christian, then my prayer is that this next phrase becomes an invitation because in this next phrase, Paul says, but now. He moves on from remember when to but now. Verse 13. See, it's easier, think about this, it's easier to live in the past than it is to live in the present. Anybody ever struggle with that? Ever struggle with just living in the past? Like, man, I messed that up, right? Man, it feels like my life got derailed during that season. Man, I hit that massive pothole. Man, I struggled with that sin. Man, it came back again, right? You hit that pothole. And it's easier to live in the past then. And what happens is we become trapped in the past. We put our big kid boots on. We trudge through the present. But oftentimes for us, the reality is that we, we, we struggle with our past. And our past, oftentimes for each of us, can be a debilitating force for destructive sinfulness in the present. Think about that. How your past can be a destructive force for sinfulness in the present. The way that we walk in our present reality is oftentimes controlled by past circumstances, and it shouldn't be that way for the Christian. It should not be that way for the Christian. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is free indeed. For freedom I have set you free. It should not be that way. Our past should not dictate, control our present reality. Paul wants to help us rest assured in the truth of who and whose we are right now in the present. Your past doesn't define you. Your past doesn't dictate who you are. Listen, listen, your, your past cannot give you a name that God hasn't given you in the present. Your past cannot give you a name that God hasn't given you in the present. Man, we call ourselves all sorts of names based on our past. What Paul wants us to see here is that we've been given a new name that trumps the names that our past wants gave us. Your past actions, your past desires, your, your past thoughts, your, your past wounds, they do not define who you are. They do not give you a name that sticks. The current name that you have defines who you are and your current position is what your name is rooted in. Your current position is like a three-legged stool. It's like a three-legged, the place you are seated, the person you are, and the new identity that you've been given, man, these are like a three-legged stool. It's just like a, a three-legged stool that is held up by three unbreakable legs. This stool will never break. This stool will never go away. Your identity is what it is. Who you are is who you are in Christ. It will never change. It will always be the same. And it all begins with the words, but now. <laughs> Leg number one. 
but now you are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are no longer defined as being in the flesh. You are defined as being in Christ Jesus. You are no longer filthy or rebellious or corrupt. You are in Christ Jesus, which means this. You are now clean. You are perfect. You are reconciled. You are restored. You are redeemed. You are perfect. All of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame were placed on Jesus at the cross. At the moment that you came alive for the very first time, by God's grace, through the pipeline of faith, at that moment, all of Christ's perfection, all of it, all of Christ's perfection was placed on you. It was given to you freely. Think about this concept. All of Christ's perfection was given to you, and not only that, all of your filth, all of your rebellion, all of your shame, all of your guilt. Not, not just, see, here's the problem. In our memories, we remember some things. You know what happens with God? He doesn't remember. Your, your sin, your, your shame, your, your guilt, it's been, it's been tossed as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west. That's an infinitely long ways. All of Christ's perfection has been placed on you and all of your sin, your shame, your filthiness, your grossness, all the sin from last night, this morning, just a moment ago in your thoughts, whatever it is, he died for that and he took it himself. He gave you his perfection and he took. And it's not, that's the gospel. There are theologians today who are rejecting that doctrine Major theologians writing for major seminaries that are rejecting that doctrine. You reject that doctrine, you don't have the gospel anymore. All of your flesh was transferred to Christ. All of Christ's perfection was transferred to you. You used to be filthy. You used to be rebellious. You used to be corrupt. But now you are in Christ Jesus. This is who you are now. Second leg under the stool but now you are close to God. But now you are close to God. As Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are no longer far off from God or separated from God or alienated from God or strangers to the family of God. You are now defined as being brought near to God in Christ Jesus. Some of us in this room, are acutely aware of how alone and unlovable and unwanted we feel. Many of us attach those emotions, those feelings, <coughs> to who we believe we are, and then we begin to walk. We begin to walk out our lives in ways that are destructive as we seek to fill those voids and those dark spaces of our hearts. I believe that if we could see with fresh spiritual eyes today, if we could see that we have been brought near to our Father in heaven, I think it would radically transform our lives. 
as a Christian, I oftentimes begin to think and to believe that every time I sin, God gets further from me. And I think there's truth in that, but I also think that there's truth in that my sins as a Christian have been tossed away from me. Um, and, and somehow it's as though the Father uses that as a way to get close to me. This is why he gave his son. I have a tendency to think that when I break my life again, I better go get that fixed before I can come into God's presence. And I just don't think that that's true. Don't get me wrong. I, continuous pursuit of sin will, will create some distance between me and my father for sure. But, but I think that what's going to heal my sin the most right now as I walk this out is being with my father. We could see this with fresh spiritual eyes. I, mean, I just think this nearness to our Father in heaven could radically transform us. You, you once were far off from God, but now you are close to God. This, this is who you are. A third leg underneath this stool of our identity, the but now of who we are. Paul says, but now you are covered in the blood of Christ. It's a picture of taking buckets of blood and throwing it on people. That's the picture. If you remember when, if you were with us for our study in the Gospel of Luke, when, when Jesus sitting at the communion table, who's sitting at the communion table with Jesus? I'm some of the most sinful guys in the world. He doesn't refuse communion to Judas, who's going to walk right out the door and betray him. He doesn't refuse communion to Peter, even though he knows he's going to betray him. He's communing with sinful flesh. And he says, hey, take Eat, drink, this is my new covenant. Covenant in my blood. And this picture, it's throwback picture to the Old Testament when leaders of Israel stood in front of them and did mass sacrifices of sheep all day long and then took buckets of blood and threw it on the people and threw it on the book, signifying this picture of being covered in the blood. You're no longer covered by sin if you are Christian. You're no longer covered by guilt. You're no longer covered by shame. Those are no longer your names. You are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, which means that your new name is Christian. Your new name is rooted in the person who died on a cross to pay the price to purchase you out of the orphanage of sin and guilt and shame. Your new name is child of God. Nothing can change that. Your sin, your guilt, and your, your shame, man, they gave you a name back then when you hit that pothole in your journey. But now you have a new name because you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. You are Christian. This is who you are. Paul has just taken us on a long walk, long journey down memory lane, right? He reminded us of when we weren't saved. And he made this stunning transition from reminding us of when we weren't saved to this three legs under the chair of that phrase, but now. That was then. But now you are in Christ Jesus. Now you are close to God. Now you are covered in the blood of Christ. Now you have a new name. 
Now you have a new identity. Now you have a new position and a new title. You are a new person in Christ Jesus. Your past doesn't define you. Your past doesn't dictate who you are. And your past cannot give you a different name other than the name that God has given you in the present. But now your name is Christian. Remember when? But now. As I conclude this, I want to share with you that over the last few months, uh, I've been reading a book. Probably doesn't take any of you by surprise. I've been reading a book with our family called Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> it's a good book. It's a story about the journey of a little boy named Christian. And he's making this slow, oftentimes painful, but sometimes really scary, other times really dangerous journey from a place called the City of Destruction, which is his old life under the reign and the rule of Satan and sin and death. And he's making this journey to the celestial city. It's the place of heaven and the presence of the king. It's really a parable. The difficult journey of a Christian who is fighting to walk out the Christian life that's full of potholes. Over and over and over and over and over again, little Christian faces down beasts and attackers as he fights to stay on the narrow path. He also picks up friends. Some of those beasts, some of those attackers, and it's hard to track them all. They come so fast. Some of the ones I can remember as I was writing my notes. Um, and they come under the names of some of our most common enemies. Discouragement, sloth, envy, Deception, loneliness, despair, pride, unlovable. They're all enemies of our hearts. And throughout this story, the only way that little Christian is going to be able to walk out his journey towards the celestial city is to hang his heart on the truth of who he is and who he is. All throughout this book, that's what you see him doing. The king said this. The king said that. The king's book says this. The king's book says that. This is who I am. I'm not that. You see him making mistakes, and you see him getting back up again. You see Christ come and comfort him. He is a child of the king of the celestial city. His name is is Christian. He remembers when he was a child in the city of destruction. He remembers that all the way through the book. When he was a child of wrath. But now his name is Christian. A child of God and he's on his journey to be with the king. And I'll proclaim to you today that that's my name. My name is Christian. And the direction that I'm walking is towards the king. I don't walk quickly. <laughs> Usually. I sometimes fall down, and it hurts. My past tries to haunt me, and it's scary. 
Now I'm a new person. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. I am close to God and I am covered in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from my sinfulness. The potholes of the past do not dictate the direction or the destination of my journey. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, but now, now I have a new name. That my past and my future cannot dictate or erase. My name is Christian and I'm headed to be with the king. You want to go? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for your spirit. Father, even just thank you so much for emotion. God, it's just good to be moved uh, through your word. It's good to be reminded of who we used to be. It's good to be reminded of who we actually are. It's good to be reminded that our names are Christian. And since our name is rooted in the name of your son who died for us, that your clutch on us will not loosen. So thank you, Father, for teaching us today that the potholes of our past do not dictate or control the future, the outcome of our journey. But the future and the outcome and the direction of our journey is dictated by you because you say who we are. Father, help us to rest in that. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.